Coming up, wholesaling, flipping, and a really creative exit strategy. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're cleared to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. What's up? It's Dave, the Military Millionaire, and if you're new here, we help service members and vets achieve financial freedom so that they can live life on their terms. Now, we do this in a myriad of ways. We have a free Facebook community, free YouTube channel, free podcast that you're listening to right now, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, blog, book, and you can even get the book for free on the website, the PDF, and a planner, and all kinds of other resources that are phenomenal. And then if you're really looking to take it up a notch, the War Room Real Estate Mastermind is really just a place for service members and vets to come together, community, accountability, education, uh, you know, the people that you surround yourself with are incredibly important. In fact, today's guest, Ron Angel, happens to be a War Room member, but that's not what we're going to talk about in the intro. What we're going to talk about his, his actual bio slash intro, which says, after five years in the military and 14 years of software engineering teams and running those teams, Ron jumped into real estate. Now, Ron has done wholesaling, flipping, private lending, buy and hold, investing, ground up construction, and really been focusing lately on partnerships with the idea of winning together, right? He's got this cool company we're going to talk about throughout the interview called REI junkies that he's working with that has a really, really cool model of basically buying, renovating, and then selling the house on owner financing to help other people buy their first home. Pretty cool, pretty cool model. Now, he's also a mentor and a coach for aspiring real estate investors, both independently and for seven-figure flipping as a runway coach. He's also a proud veteran, husband, father of two young children, and has a lot of college education and accolades that just kind of went over my head because that's not my world. And so he's done a lot of really cool stuff, been around. And not to mention all that, he's still, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, a war room member. And in this episode, we're going to cover his journey through real estate investing and this really cool exit strategy with REI Junkies, which I might be using myself. So stay tuned. What's up, Ron? Welcome to the show, brother. What's up, Dave? How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. So uh, I like to kind of, before we go into backstory, I like to jump into just a totally off the cuffs, probably more further down your journey question. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, in your bio, we talk about uh, partnerships. I'm curious what some of the, like, if there's a hard lesson that you've learned in dealing with partners, or if you've been like managed to have a successful uh, trajectory with that. I, I've had a couple bumps and bruises along the way. And I always like to ask about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so right now, basically everything I'm doing successfully has been through partnerships. And that's because I, I found that when you when you're partnered with the right person, you know, you're able to leverage each other's uh, strengths, right? And complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, especially if you have a good core values alignment and, and kind of a good strong working relationship, you can just accomplish a lot more with a lot less time. Um, as, as far as lessons for, for that, it's really, I think the biggest thing is the core values alignment. Uh, cause if you don't have that, then when bad things happen, it's much more difficult to deal with. But when you have good core values alignment, then the decision-making process, when it, it comes time to make difficult decisions is much more straightforward. I like, it. yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think, uh, you know, people enter into partnerships 
it's going to make the, everything easier. And they often, you know, like you, you hit it on the head in your very first sentence, the <laughs> right partner. Uh, it's amazing. It's like, people don't, I, I think choosing a partner is almost like choosing a spouse. It's, it's, uh, you've got to make sure there's a lot of stuff going, uh, in the same direction for it to actually make sense. Yeah. So, uh, backstory, can you give us like what bring us, bring us up to current date? Uh, you know, your, your journeys through military tech, real estate, like what's the, what's the story of Ron in a nutshell? Okay. Yeah. In a nutshell. So <clears throat> let's see, I, I joined the military after about a year and a half of college. Um, I kind of dropped out. This is shortly after nine 11. Um, I'd always wanted to go into the military. In fact, I, I grew up in Israel. And so in Israel, it's basically it's mandatory service. So I always yep. kind of grew up with that in the back of my mind, like I would be in the military, even though when I moved to the U.S., I was nine. I still kind of had that in the back of my mind. So when the opportunity came, I, I kind of jumped at it. I um, my roommate in college had joined the reserves over the summer and came back and told me about all this nifty stuff they're doing, like uh, NBC training and, and this and that in their drill. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And so. <laughs> Um, at the end of that semester, I basically dropped out and, um, and, and joined the military. Uh, my time in the military, um, it's funny, I originally enlisted for um, military intelligence. So I was uh, enlisted for 96 Bravo, I think it was. It's been a while. But um, because I had dual citizenship with Israel and the U.S., I couldn't get a clearance. And my recruiter, as recruiters do, told me to lie about it. And then when I got to um, my uh, basic training, you know, station, you know, anyone who gets a uh, secu security clearance, they bring you all into a room and they basically give you this briefing that says, if you lied about anything in your security packet, you're going to jail. And so I kind of raised my hand. I'm like, hang on a second. I got this thing over here. So um, I, long story short, um, I reclassed into, um, I think it was 73 Delta at the time, a finance or budget analyst or something, some BS. I was in the finance corps for four years, stationed in uh, South Korea for the bulk of it. This was from 2002 to 2006. Um, so after I got out, um, I, you know, I was thinking about doing the, you know, doing the career thing, going officer and all that, but I kind of got the itch to go do more exciting things. So I got out finished my degree and then went into the tech industry. So I got my degree in computer science and I had a 14 year, really, I think successful career in tech. Um, I kind of climbed the corporate ladder um, from engineer to lead, lead developer to manager, architect, all these things, eventually as a director of engineering at a Fortune 300 company. But it was during COVID that you know, we, we were all kind of working remotely. I got to be at home a lot more and closer to family. And I realized like, I really wanted a lot more of that. And, um, I was just, you know, working too hard. Um, even though I was getting, you know, great pay and benefits and all that stuff, the, the energy wasn't going into something, into building something for myself. And it, I was never going to get the, the time freedom until I retired at 65, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, even though a lot of people just take that for granted, but um, it was around that time I read the four hour work week and that really opened my mind to what's even possible. And that, that's kind of what lit the spark. So I went into real estate. I had uh, one, I had two rentals prior to that, that I picked up um, after I got out of the military. Um, so I knew that real estate was a good vehicle. And so that's when I started to network and research and I got hooked up in the war room um, yeah, through a former partner of yours. Uh, and, uh, since we were on the topic and, um, yeah, and I got into that group and, and then I realized like what's really possible in real estate. And that, that's kind of what kicked off my, my true real estate journey. 
I love it. And uh, I, I just have to know, was your uh, NBC experience as, as fun as you anticipated prior to? <laughs> no, it was, it was complete garbage. Uh, you know, gas, 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 and all that. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love every, it sounds cool. You're like, oh, wow, gas masks. And then you realize like, man, they make you shave right before you do this. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not cool. The worst part is not the gas. It's the, the, the shaving. Um, oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> your recruiter um that's actually really funny to me because as a recruiter who would never publicly say that he told anybody what to you know explain or not explain when enlisting um dual citizenship is not something i would ever think like oh yeah they won't notice this no big deal <laughs> like that's not something you would ever tell somebody to lie about yeah. or at least you would think like there's a couple things right like um you know i, I knew a guy who tried to you know, keep his mouth shut about a, a labrum surgery. And it's like, bro, there are three scars on your shoulder that are in the exact <laughs> location that any doctor could look at and go, I know what surgery you had. You're not getting by with that. Like they're going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and then I, I, yeah, you see some weird things on recruiting. I had a kid who, uh, a friend of mine who joined the Marine Corps and he just had like a black square on his thigh tattooed. And you're like, and I remember like when I was like a Lance Corporal, I was like, dude, what was that? He's like, oh, I just drunk mistake. And then I, I get into recruiting duty and I'm like, no, that guy covered something. Yeah, <laughs> there's that wasn't a drunk mistake. That's a cover yeah. job. <laughs> a really <laughs> crappy one. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's all good. All fun and games. So you get into real estate. What what uh, what niche and or niches did you dive into? Because I know now you're working pretty heavily with seven figure flipping. And so you do a lot of the, the off market stuff. Yeah. Um, but was that where you started or, or what was your first foray into real estate? So it, when I, like when I started full-time in real estate, that's where I started uh, prior to that, when, like in the war room, I got into our like weekly kind of ability groups and was thinking of trying to pick up rentals or maybe a flip. And I, I just, um, wasn't super successful at it because I didn't put enough energy behind it. Um, I did pick up a short-term rental. So I actually sold my two long-term rentals that I bought you know, 10 years prior, they were horrible deals. I didn't know how to run deals at, you know, how to run numbers at that time. I just like, Oh, okay. Does the mortgage, uh, or does the rent basically pay the mortgage? Okay. That sounds good to me. Um, so, you know, when I realized that I realized, okay, these things are not really cash flowing. Let me sell those. I did a 1030, uh, 1031 of the, both of those into a, 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 sh a short-term rental in Panama city beach. Um, so I did buy that while I was still working before I did it full time, but um, when I went full time, it was, you know, he, you know, headlong directly into it. I joined the seven figure flipping, uh, mastermind, uh, the runway group. And I started as a wholesaler and I did that virtually in Raleigh, North Carolina, even though I live, uh, here in Long Island, New York. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not, you know, it's like a one day drive. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no vir virtual, um, wholesaling is a fun ish game at first i don't know i i i got very tired very quickly of the uh like needing to feed the beast like yeah. I, I actually it's funny because wholesaling as a strategy like as an exit strategy is one of my absolute favorite things to do because there's no risk there's no delay on when you get your capital back it's just somebody closes it you get paid and you move on to the next one it, it's great yeah. uh the part that i don't like about it is that i found myself continually be, be, being uh like pulled away and 
uh, told that, you know, like, oh, hey, we need to go do this. We can go do that. This is going on with the part. Like, it was just like there was there was no way to make that. It was either going to be like a, a real side hustle where I barely touch it and it's not very successful or it was going to be business number one. There was no like yeah. middle. There was no way to be like successful with it and not have it be a focal point. And, you know, I, I kind of had some team members for a little while and then uh, I learned the fatal mistake of don't teach your acquisitions guy how to do everything because then they'll just <laughs> disappear and think they can do it on their own, which, yeah. you know, unfortunately for him, uh, he was wrong. But hey, by then I was like, well, I'm going to slow this thing down because it's yeah. eaten into the rest of my life. But is that still your bread and butter? It's not. It Just like you talked about, like wholesaling is a very active type of business, right? You got to have to constantly be in it. Um, there's always changes with how, you know, we're doing marketing, whether it's cold calling or SMS There's always regulatory changes and things like that. Um, and you got to constantly feed the beast. You got to keep going after leads. You got to be, you know, um, getting more contracts and keep keeping up with your buyers. And so I was not particularly good at it. I, I had a somewhat successful first year. I did uh, nine deals, my first, eight, nine deals my first year. So um, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. But at the end of the day, I really didn't enjoy it. And um, I decided to move away from it um, here in 2023. And so what I transitioned into, I did a, a couple of things. So um, I realized I was actually at least decent at, at dealing with um, private money. So I had done a lot of private money lending uh, on my own through my retirement accounts because I built up a fair amount of capital in my retirement accounts in the tech industry. Yeah. Um, and I also started brokering a little bit. Um, and so I realized that that was kind of an interest of mine. It was a, it was sort of a, high, a side hustle while I was wholesaling, but I realized I had some strengths there. So I decided to try to be a, a, become a capital raiser. And so <clears throat> I started working with um, one of the other guys in Seven Figure Flipping, actually um, my coach in the Top Gun program, Vaughn Bethel. And he brought me on to help uh, raise capital for his business. And one thing led to another, another and he asked me to come in and, and really work in his business um, with a, in a larger role and um, as a director of marketing, so kind of running all of marketing for his entire business. Um, so specifically direct to seller marketing for all their lead gen, uh, dispositions marketing to you know, you know, push deals out, as well as the investor relations piece, like bringing in investors and, um, and helping with raising private money there. And so I did that. And along the way, also a couple of other partnerships developed organically. Another wholesaler in my market in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, he and I decided to partner on flips. So now we have multiple flips going. And um, I found through my network in 7F, another investor in Michigan that uh, we're flipping together and she's got deals in Michigan. And in both of those relationships, I'm kind of the capital guy, like that's, that's a strength of mine. So I raised the capital to do it. They, we kind of bring the deals together and, and they do the work, right? So I'm more of the, not silent partner, but more of the, um, less active in the day-to-day -day of the actual flipping and more making sure that the deals are fully funded, um, managing the investors, um, dealing with things like draws and, and, and all that stuff and making sure that we're kind of financially sound doing the bookkeeping. And so I, I kind of very organically moved into just really just positioning towards partnerships. It wasn't intentional. It just happened very organically. And, I, and what I realized as it was happening is it, it's a really powerful way to be really, uh, really productive. Like I have, yeah. um, you know, three fairly big endeavors and I'm able to split my time across those and be pretty effective in, in all three actually. 
Yeah, and I mean you're absolutely right. If you get the the right partner and you guys are, are uh, aligned, it it can be game changing. I mean, if you look at what you're doing in Raleigh, like there's probably not a better way to get boots on the ground than an incentivized partner, right? Like right. That, that that guy, if he needs to go look at the property or whatever while you're not there, it's not like having your contractor send you pictures and hoping it's the, it's the same house. It's right. your partner. He's <laughs> he's not going to BS you. Um, yeah. So I think that's all great. Um, what you said, three ventures. So I'm, I'm tracking working with Von Bethel on marketing and then the wholesaling and flipping partnership is the third one, the REI junkies that we were talking about kind of before the show. Oh no. So we have okay. a Von Bethel that, that is REI junkies. Oh, okay. 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 Cool. Um, then I have my flipping in North Carolina with one partner and then flipping in Michigan with another partner. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Tracking. Cool. So, uh, well, since we I broached the subject already, what what are you guys doing within REI Junkies? That's uh, I know you, you mentioned the marketing side, but I believe I saw that you guys are doing some financing, or yeah, so yeah, absolutely. So very interesting uh, business model. So think of it is we have an acquisition company, so we we're doing a lot of direct to seller and and bringing leads in the door, um, a strong acquisitions team, and then we have a lot of options with our dispositions, um, and, and this is no this is no secret, right? That you have your traditional wholesale, double closes, um, buy and hold. And then we have, uh, we have referral. We have a, a strategic partnership. We recently started, um, with a company called distinguished realty in our, in our local market in Greenville, South Carolina. <clears throat> but then we have our, what is our ultimate end goal for as many properties as possible, which is owner financing. So what we'll do is we'll close on the property. We'll rehab it to get it to be very like a livable condition. And then we'll sell it to an end buyer on owner finance mm. with private, like we take the properties down with private money or we'll refi, we'll hard money and we'll refi them with private money. And then we'll sell them on owner finance and take a spread on the interest rate and on the, um, on the principal. So we, we buy it at, you know, off market. So at a significant discount and we, we sell it at retail. And the reason that this is our strategy is not just because it's a great strategy and, and can make a lot of money, but it's actually having a big impact on the community. So our goal in our REA junkies is to help up to 500 families realize the dream of home ownership through non-traditional financing by the end of 2026. And when we say that, what, what I mean by that is these are folks that are able to pay a mortgage, right? They, they have the income to make those payments, but for whatever reason, maybe lack of rental history, maybe they're 1099 employees. They don't have that nice W2 income that banks like, uh, maybe they had a blip in their credit, uh, a few years back, um, and banks won't lend to them, but we were able to verify their, their income. We make sure they can afford it. We're fully Dodd Frank compliant and we help them get into homes. And, and ultimately, you know, home ownership is, like the best vehicle towards building generational wealth and, you know, for, you know, for themselves and, and their, and their kids and, and so on. And so that's some, that's a way that we're able to, while making, you know, feeding, you know, putting food on the table for everybody in the company also give back to the community. Bless you. I was going to say, I'm, I'm hoping I clicked the mute button before that sneezing fit came on. <laughs> I'll have to make the editor take this part out too. Um, so I actually, I really like that model. That's very interesting. What I'm curious, are your private lenders 
like what are, what are your terms as far as I mean because most of my private lenders want you know short term debt they want their capital back quickly yeah. so I had kind of thought you might have to refi into traditional debt if you're going to hold a long term note with owner financing is that just a different conversation you're having with the private lenders because I'm like how are you I, I mean it doesn't make sense if you buy it cash. And then owner finance. That's the correct. That we wouldn't be able to. We'll we'll never be able to get to five hundred. And by the way, we're trying to get to five hundred by the end of twenty twenty six and five thousand by the end of twenty thirty. Right. We're really trying to make a a huge impact in the community. Um, But no, we we couldn't do that with cash. There's just not enough cash. Right. We we have to use other people's money. It's just it's a bit of a different conversation, and it's a different private money lender. It's somebody that's looking for stability, a very attractive loan to value on the asset, and long term cash flow. Right there, it's these are folks that are looking for those monthly payments, and and obviously, we, you know, um, like a lot of times when for our flips, and also as a lender for flips, I'll always, uh, I always like to do to take the interest on the back end, right? That makes it easier for the flipper, it makes it easier for me as a lender, also, because then I don't have to make sure the the payments right. are coming in. But for these longer term lenders, they they like that monthly cash flow. They like to see, you know, that 500 or that thousand bucks dropped in the bank every month. And that's like, that gives them, you know, a stable income. And they know that it's backed by a hard asset with a very attractive loan to value. So it's very, very secure. Um, and we have other things in place that make it even more secure. For example, when we buy the, when we sell the property on owner finance, we take a healthy down payment and we carve out part of that down payment. It goes into an escrow account that, in case that we have to foreclose as somebody stops paying, we have that cushion, that additional cushion to keep paying our lender as well as to take care of the foreclosure and eviction process. And that usually takes, um, I want to say it's like three to six months. And so we escrow all the money needed to do that and not have to disrupt the company's cash flow. And certainly we would never disrupt the investor's cash flow. So it's like really secure, reliable way that we're able to offer this great, um, opportunity for for passive investors to invest in us um but also invest in their community because of what we're trying to ultimately accomplish is help people realize that dream of home ownership and build that generational wealth yeah that's actually really cool because i it is i mean if you if someone hands you a hundred thousand dollars as the you know underlying debt on one of these and you're paying a decent return it's about as consistent and guaranteed as you know, I mean, nothing in real estate or in investing, I hate the right. word guarantee, but we all know what I mean. Like that is a much more secure return long-term. Um, you know, there, you obviously you can charge more if you're doing short-term debt with points and everything else, but mm-hmm. then you might have a three month lapse where that capital is not in play. And so and it then, evens and out. You're back to square one. You're back to, you might as well give it to somebody for five years and just get that monthly thing. Right? Yeah. If you do that, unless you're very active and on top of it, which as a private lender, I, I have to do because because I for me, I am usually trying to get those points, you know, I'm going after a little bit more income. But that's because I'm doing that. Like I'm a real estate investor. This is what I do. But for somebody who's in the tech industry and they don't have time to mess with it and they don't want to mess with it just to get, a, you know, a little bit more juice, you know hand it, hand it over and let me pay you over five years interest only and return all your capital back to you at the end and in a great return. That's probably going to beat the S and P. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and without having to, you know, keep eyes on it or worry about, I mean, even with the S and P most people find themselves pulling and, and, and there's all the emotions when the market downturns and, and all the other stuff, whereas this is consistent. And I really like that you guys escrow, you know, a chunk of change, 
in case somebody needs an eviction, because that is a, a very, I mean, you know, there's the, the, the irony, right. Is your solution is geared for people who couldn't qualify for a traditional mortgage, but are still, you know, good people and want to get into a house. But unfortunately, whether we like it or not, right. A lot of the reasons that banks don't lend on something, I mean, they're, they're there for a reason. And so, you know, there's, there is a higher risk there and there is going to be the occasional, uh, you know, foreclosure or whatever, just as the nature of the beast, because some people don't learn from their mistakes and they like to repeat themselves or whatever, or, or, or life happens. Right. And so it's good that you're buffering for that, especially Mm -hmm. because if you're buffering a bit from each property for it, then you've got a much larger pool than you'll ever actually need. Right. And, and our target, you know, our, what we're aiming for is no higher than a 1% foreclosure rate over, you know, the, the life of all these loans. That's yeah. what we're targeting right now. Um, and by the way, people get foreclosed on even when they do qualify for a loan from a oh, bank, absolutely. Right? Those, those happen as well. Yeah. So, yeah. What kind of, uh, what, I'm curious, um, on the owner financing, uh, you know, what kind of things are you screening for? Cause if you're okay with a, a credit blip or, uh, you know, is it just, like is your main criteria income over monthly payment, and then that's exactly right, right? Yeah. And and the ability to to uh, like showing a a, a payment history, uh, right? And so people that don't qualify for our owner financing, part of what we do, so we call this the pathway to home ownership. Yeah. I really should have led with that. And so for someone that isn't going to qualify even for our owner financing, we'll try to find them a rental from our portfolio and help them get that rental history so that they can eventually qualify for that actual loan. I like that. Put my do not disturb on. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I had to mute a whole bunch of Slack stuff at one point cause it would start going off while I was recording and I'm like, I yeah. can't deal with it. So yeah. Hey, you know, perks of running the real business, right? That's right. <laughs> I mean, people, people need your attention. People need um, you. <laughs> uh, I think that's really cool. What kind of terms are you guys, like, how's that structuring? Um, you know, I mean, what kind of terms, like what's, I guess the really the bigger question is like, what's your spread on the cash flow from the long-term play there? Yeah. So there's a few things that we look at. We're looking for at least a 2% spread on the interest rate between what we're paying underlying and what yeah. we're charging. Um, and we look for at least a 50K spread on the basis. So if we're all in at 100, we're going to sell that. We need to sell that at 150 or more. Um, and then finally, we're looking for a five hundred dollar a month, you know, spread on the net between what we're paying the underlying lender and the owner finance buyer. Awesome. Uh, on the the fifty k uh, buffer there on equity, does that scale? Like, if you had a million dollar property that you guys flipped, would you want you know a hundred k spread there, or is it just hey, as long as we have fifty, we're we're feel safe? We just look for the 50k spread, but we're also not selling million dollar property. Where we have very, <laughs> we have a very tight buy box because of you know who we're trying to put in there. That's um, yeah. someone who can afford a million dollar home. They they don't need us. So. To be fair, a million dollar home in in some states is is a shoebox. So. Fair, but but not in Greenville, <laughs> South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, it's funny because I'm I can't remember the small little suburb that my I have an aunt and uncle that live like right outside Greenville. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been out there. It's uh it's a nice place. Nice, nice area, but it's definitely yeah, it's not million dollar homes. Um, hmm. it's probably why it works. And I, I think this is a cool model. I've actually been looking into, uh, you know, whether I owner finance or I, um, 
just do like lease options or rent to own on, on a few of my rentals because, you know, I had my debt on, it's not terrible, but it's, they're just not cash flowing like they used to. Um, you know, cause I had, I had floating rates. So they're all capped at uh 7%. So, I mean, it could be a lot worse, but, um, you know, they, they're still doing fine, but I've been entertaining the idea of like, okay, what would it, what would it need to look like if I was going to do this? So I guess I, I, I'm curious now for my, my own knowledge, how, how are you guys finding your ideal, you know, buyer? Uh, what does that process kind of look like? Cause I, I, I am like legitimately, I've got eight houses right now and like three or four of them I've been thinking about, man, I wonder if I could just do this and not have to worry about, you know, cause then you're off the hook for utilities and, and, uh, well, probably not insurance if I'm on a normal loan, but, but yeah. 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 So basically, I mean, we, because we're trying to help the community where that's what we're, that's where we're putting ourselves out there. Right. So, mm. um, we've made relationships and have gotten featured in like a local community magazine. We're posting on local Facebook groups. Um, you know, we're planning to start a radio campaign that will, we'll go after sellers, but we'll also put our name out there for buyers, uh, for owner finance buyers. And we're really working on our branding right now to be able to tell the story in a better way so that we attract all three of our avatars, sellers, buyers and investors. Yeah. Um, but, but really it's about like, it's as simple as like Facebook marketplace ads where you're putting in information that you are willing to own or finance. And you'll, you'd be surprised how many people are actually actively looking for that. Mm. Yeah. That's a, it's actually a pretty good point. The, you, you do have a, you, I, I'd be curious to hear more about your, your marketing strategy because yeah, that's three very distinct and different avatars that you're trying to hit at the same time with yeah. the same company. I'd imagine you're running, you know, just completely different campaigns with uh, different funnels and everything for that. But Correct. is that, Correct. Are, are most of those coming through organic networking or is it, are you guys running ads for it or how's, how's that working? So for direct to seller marketing, we are using all the, the typical channels. So cold calling bulk SMS, which right now is a bit of a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. last few weeks, um, direct mail, you know, drive, so we have uh, drivers that do driving for dollars. We'll send them direct mail. We'll throw those into cold calling and bulk SMS. Uh, we do some paper lead. We started that recently. We're doing Facebook ads and we're looking into radio. We're planning to start a radio campaign sometime in the new year. Uh, so that's all the direct, that's all, all the typical direct to seller campaign. Some of it's word of mouth, some of them it's referrals, but a lot of times with these, the type of avatar we're trying to target, we got to go after them. Um, with dispositions, um, we are using, you know, common tools like um, uh, email lists, right, of buyers. So we're constantly growing our cash buyers list. You know, um, and then when we're marketing specific uh, properties, we push that out to our, our buyers list via email, text. We're using tools like InvestorLift. Uh, we're planning to transition to uh, RE Simply. Our CRM is coming out with some good dispositions tools. We're planning to migrate there um, once those are sufficiently powerful. And um, and then it's like Facebook Marketplace, Facebook Groups. We're just constantly putting ourselves out there and we're trying to just constantly grow the list so that we kind of control the data. We can control who we're marketing to directly. And so with those, the less targeted stuff, um, like Facebook ads and, and stuff like that, it's, it's about putting out the deal, but really about gauging and bringing people into, in the door that we can continue to push our deals out to if that's what they're looking to do. And that's both for cash buyers. Cause not all of our properties will work for owner financing. 
um, and, and also for the owner financing buyers. And then investor is completely different avatar. We are still trying to figure that out uh, again. Um, we're, and what we're trying to do right now, like thinking really strategically because we are trying to scale massively, like 10, yep. like really 100x from what we're doing now is we're working on building a story brand. So um, if you heard of the story brand concept, oh, yeah. basically hero's journey applied to business. And so we're working on building a story brand for all three of, the, of our avatars and that we have like a, we're building a master story brand that tells, you know, the, the full world of what we're doing and who we're talking to, and then individual story brands for sellers, for buyers, and then for investors. And then we'll be able to kind of take that to market and have campaigns and landing pages and funnels and stuff. So we're, we're trying to do all of that behind the scenes work in this kind of in this quarter by the end of this year. And then in the new year, start really launching some bigger things so we can start to um, attract more, more uh, investors and buyers and, and sellers as well and help, help with the credibility when sellers and we, and we, I think we have a really credible presence. We have a lot of good social proof out there in our Facebook page and our website. But what we want is when people Google us to see who is this person that sent me a postcard, we want them to interact with that story brand and really see themselves as the hero of like, okay, I have this problem. I'm trying to sell this problem house because I'm going through a divorce or bankruptcy or just tired landlord and really seeing us as the guide of helping them through that entire process. So that's what we're working on right now. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> it's a lot of different avatars. It'd be cool to see how that all interweaves into the master story brand, but that's super cool. Yeah. Um, there was a question there that I wanted to unpack, but Oh no, it wasn't. Uh, I was gonna say, I really like Ari simply. In fact, actually the, we both have a hard stop at the top of the hour and yeah. I'm going to be interviewing Sherrod Mehta, the founder of Ari simply right after you. So yeah. That's awesome. I yeah. saw that you were, I saw you put out a, um, like, um, a mastermind event. Is that you or is, or you're going on his and he's going on yours? Yeah. So I spoke to his group yesterday about, uh, really just like content marketing, networking stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, he's coming on the podcast this afternoon. So nice. he, he and I've met, uh, I think it was the second time we've met in person, but at the family mastermind in Tampa back in, uh, end of September. And I've always liked Ari simply, I like the fact that they take, you know, they, they want to be an all in one. So they listen to their, their audience, their feedback, their avatar, and they're always, they're continually developing new, yeah. new things. And, um, uh, that tools, uh, it's made me some money. That's for sure. There are definitely <laughs> leads. Like I, I will never forget. There was a drip campaign that was like out to 18 months and you know, you always know these things work, right? And you're like, Oh, this is great. This is so cool. And then one day I get a phone call from this lady who I'd completely forgotten we'd talked to. And like, there's, you know, the notes and it was like 13 months prior and yeah. it was just her getting followed up with automatically from the campaign. And then one day Love she, those trips, man. Yeah. She calls and it was like a $25,000 uh, ordeal. It was two houses on, on a parcel and uh, it was great, you know? And I'm like, wow. All right. Well, this just paid for itself for the next 15 years. So there you go. <laughs> um, you know, it's awesome. So yeah, I'll tell, awesome. I'll tell Sherrod that story. And, um, so, okay. You guys are doing a lot of cool stuff with the owner financing side and I, man, I wonder, and like, are you guys, is your eventual avatar, are you going to try to get in front of, uh, you know, private equity and or, um, family offices for the investor side that might, I feel like that might be a, a good underlying bet. We are looking at that. So we're, we're actively looking at starting a fund 
And then we're thinking about who we're going to put that in front of. So we have some early conversations with some investment banks and kind of uh, bigger potential investors that would help, you know, help us with those raises, honestly, because um, we're going to want to raise about 15 million over the next 12 months or so to continue feeding our, our pipeline and start scaling this thing. And we'll, we'll probably need 75 to 100 million in the next couple of years to, to start hitting the numbers that are real targets of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. So before we dig into these few questions that I ask every guest, um, what do we miss in the, in the, I feel like we've, we've dug around a lot of mm -hmm. this, but I don't know if there's any part of the owner financing, RAI junkie side of things that we've not really explained well. I mean, I'm in it day to day, so it's hard for me to know what the, the missing pieces are. Does it make sense to you the way I explained it? Like Absolutely. what other questions might you have? Uh, I mean, the only other questions I would have would be like super specific on, on terms for lending and or, you know, on both sides, like what your what kind of rates you guys are seeing. But I think that's probably going to vary deal to deal. And, you know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, yeah. We'll, we'll dig into the debrief then. We'll rock and roll and we'll give cool. ourselves a cushion here. What is the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? <laughs> the dumbest thing. So remember when I told you that, oh man, I, I guess I got a bunch of dumb things. The The very dumbest thing, and I should have known better, right? And that's why it's the dumbest thing, is when I sold those two rentals and did a 1031 exchange into a short-term rental. Mm. I really wanted to get that short-term rental before I left my W2 job. And I probably fudged the numbers in my short-term rental calculator to make the deal work or like looked at AirDNA data very optimistically <laughs> so that it looked like I was gonna I'll bring be in the top 20% cash on cash and was planning to self-manage and all this and that and ended up the revenue wasn't there. I did not self-manage, I brought on a property management company um, and just the thing I I'm selling it now. Like you can Google, you can, well, I'm not going to say the address now, but you can Google it. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to sell this thing. Just, it's not cash flowing for me and it's sucking up cash. And so I'm, I'm getting rid of it. And the lesson there is like, if a deal's not a deal, like just don't do it. I, I would rather in hindsight have paid the capital gains on those two rentals, which wouldn't have been huge anyway, because they weren't great deals to begin with than now being stuck with a bad deal. And it's taking away my time and attention that I can be directing towards what I'm doing in REI Junkies or my other partnerships. But instead, I'm having to mess with this uh, stupid condo that I'm trying to to now sell. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost like even if it was making you, you know, a break even or a little bit of money, um, it's not worth the headache. It's, it's yeah. pulling away from your other stuff. And I, so it's funny, uh, I've actually been debating whether or not to get rid of my short term rental. And, uh, I have one, it's actually the upstairs unit to this house. Mm. And, uh, you know, so it's a four, two and a half that rents and it, it cash flows. It does well. It rents for three to $4,000 a month on average. And my all in costs are 2,600. So, you know, I'm doing fine on it. And then it pays for my office, which is in the basement, which is a two, one, mm. you know, unit down here. Uh, but all of a sudden, man, I don't know what it is about municipalities thinking that the best way to help their economy is to tax the crap out of. So they added like a 5% tax on your gross revenue. And I'm like, okay, oh, man. that stinks, but whatever. And then my property manage, my property taxes came back and I went apparently 
without me knowing my single family house that's not even zoned as a duplex because it was an unpermitted mother-in-law suite and I can't get it zoned. So it's a single family house on record. Uh, went from a, you know, $800 a year in taxes as a residential property to $4,800 this Ooh. year as a commercial property because there's an Airbnb. And so I'm going to go, I got to go fight the city this week and be like, um, I live here. Like this, <laughs> this is by your definition, this is the type one Airbnb where you live in the property and mm. it is your primary residence. And I meet all of those requirements so you can't, you can't like make me have all these stupid <laughs> primary residence, residential requirements and still tax me as a commercial asset. <laughs> so like, yeah. which, which is it here? Um, so I've, I've had a few friends tell me that they're not budging. Um, and so if you can't, if we can't figure out how to turn that around, then I'll probably end up just turning it into a long-term rental and like rent and, yeah. you know, do like co-living rent four four bedrooms out and call it a day. So, yeah. It's a, it's a weird game for sure. Um, yeah. And but, I think you got to look at your return on time too, right? It's because it's taking away from other things you could be doing. And so what is that cash flow and, and what's the return on time? Not just, you know, that monthly, you know, additional income that you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. What about the smartest thing you've ever purchased? I don't think I have a smartest thing that I've ever purchased yet, to be honest. No. Um, but my... All bad decisions. No, I'm just kidding. No. But, okay, so I will talk about this uh, this one deal that was my first wholesale and by far my most successful, which is um, I was having some trouble with direct mail. I wasn't getting enough leads, so I hired a cold caller. And then I think within the first week or two, he brought me this lead, which within a couple of days I had under contract for it looked like two or three hundred k below market value. Uh, ARV. Okay. And it, and it looked like about a hundred K spread on a, on a wholesale. I ended up, um, uh, ended up, um, assigning it for a 62 K assignment. And so, and that was my very first deal as a wholesaler. So that <laughs> fully replenished the coffers of all the marketing spend and then some, um, and I'll, I'll just tell you when I got that check and I, and I asked the title company not to wire me the money, to send me the check. So I can take a picture of it and I can physically go to the bank and deposit it. And yeah. that was a, that was a quite a day. Yeah, that would be, uh, that's way bigger. That's probably four times, three and a half times my biggest wholesaling <laughs> check. We averaged about 15 K spreads. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, which for anyone listening before you're like, Oh my God, a 15 K spread. Like that's, you know, that's gross. So, so how much of that you actually get to keep, you know, who knows three grand. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of team spend, expenses right? and marketing and yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's still a great gig. Um, and that's a really solid first wholesale. Deal. I also like that both your, your, uh, dumbest and smartest examples are, are deals. You know, I, I get a lot of people mm. in here and they're like, Oh yeah. Uh, alcohol or cars. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm way but... I'm way more boring than that. So. <laughs> well, I will take a deal that didn't work out <laughs> over alcohol as your you know dumbest thing you bought. Like, okay, well, I don't know too many people who would say buying beer is a smart investment. So, but I don't think we we do it for that reason. So, uh, all right, name a book, uh, you know, podcast resource, whatever um, that has made you into a better either leader or uh, investor. There's a bunch that I'm thinking of, I'm sure will be repeats. I mean, extreme ownership obviously comes to mind and, and others like that. Um, but I would say uh, 12 week year 
has been pretty instrumental for me. Uh, Once I started moving more towards quarterly planning and like mapping out exactly what I'm trying to accomplish and breaking it down into what do I need to do each and every week and then tracking against it, measuring against it, that's been a real game changer in my productivity and my ability to kind of move the needle on a continual basis and make real progress. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. Uh, I also, you mentioned earlier uh, four hour work week and that's one of my all time favorites. So that's what started uh, this whole thing for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it was huge for me. All right. So somebody who's listening to the show, uh, you know, they want to, they're a service member, they're a veteran, they want to learn how to make more money or save more money. You know, they've got their financial freedom goals. Um, instead of when this podcast ends, just going on to the next one, what action do you think they should do to start setting themselves up for sex success, not sex? Sex is great, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> no. Just roll with it. But everyone's trying to do that anyway. Yeah, so just um, roll with yeah, my if you want to be more successful. <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the most powerful things for me was surrounding myself by with people that are doing way bigger things than me. And what started that for me was joining the the War Room Mastermind. Right. So things like mastermind groups, War Room obviously is a great um, option. Um, seven figures, amazing. Yeah. But even like going to RIAs and seeing what other investors are doing in your market and talking to them, because w- what that's going to do is, is one, it's going to show you it's possible. So it starts to change the belief that you can do it. Because if that guy or girl can do it, I can do it too, right? And yeah. it also makes it seem like it's a, a more normal thing, right? If most people that you interact with, family members, friends, are like, oh, real estate is risky. And what are you doing? And you're wasting your time and you're going to lose money. If you're around people that are doing it and, and believe in it and you see it's possible, it's just going to get you to start thinking a little bit differently. And that by itself gets you to take more action. Yeah, I think that's huge. I, I agree completely. I appreciate the shout out. Um, but I, I agree completely that surrounding yourself with, with people is probably the most beneficial thing for me as well. So yeah. uh, where can people find out more information about you, REI Junkie and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So I, the best place to find me is on Facebook. Just, um, I think it's, we'll, we'll send the the link in the show notes, I guess, absolutely. but it's like uh, Ron angel, something, you know, dot five forty nine or something. <laughs> um, I post on Instagram, but it's all just repeat of Facebook. Facebook's the best place. And you can, um, you can follow me there. You can uh, DM me, you can comment on my posts. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well for, for those of you that hang out on LinkedIn. And then for REI junkies, just Google, um, or go to www.reijunkies.com, just like just like it sounds, and check us out. See what we're doing, and you know anyone who wants to learn more and maybe see how you can get involved, definitely reach out. Uh, reach out to us. I love it. Well, thank you, Ron, very much for joining us today. We'll make sure we point everyone towards that in the show notes. Um, it's been a been a pleasure hanging out. I appreciate awesome, the uh, the podcast. It's good to catch yeah. up. Appreciate it.